Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, Simplify. Our big idea today is the legacy of a simplified life is beautiful. We're going to spend time in the book of Ecclesiastes. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the final week of Simplify. And we began this series 10 weeks ago, and today we bring it to a conclusion. And it has been my hope and my prayer. And honestly, this is what I've been asking God for. That we would all be able to take away something from our time here that does indeed unclutter our souls. And just give us the ability to simplify life. And so this has been our theme all summer long, and it's based on a book by the same title, Simplify by Bill Hybels. And if you want to continue to think about this theme, I would encourage you to pick up the book. I have received some good feedback on the teaching here at Valley Point and how it's helping people think, and that's always good news. And one email came to me from a gentleman, and he said, not sure why round numbers make you stop and think, but they do. Today's my 40th birthday, and I've spent the last month or so just thinking about where I am, how I got here, and what I still want to accomplish. So in Valley Point sermon fashion, I want to share with you my takeaways for the next 40 years. Like, wow, this is great. He's speaking my language, and we've got takeaways for 40 years. So what does this look like? Well, he has three of them, and here they are. Number one, I want to give more than I take. Number two... I want to listen more than I speak. And number three, I want to grow as a person. And when I stop and look at that list, it seems like a lot. Glad I have Christ, family, and friends to help me out. And I read that to you because I think it's a great example of someone who has chosen to do what we talked about all summer long. And that is to simplify their lives. And they've put together a strategy and some goals in order to do that. And when we strategize and when we put together some life goals, whether it's for a year or five years or 40 years, whatever that looks like, here's what happens. It brings focus. And we know what we should say yes to. But in knowing what we should say yes to, it also clarifies the no. Because when we say yes to things, we also probably have to say no to a few other things. And so he put together some goals and some strategies for his life. He is simplifying. He is focused. He knows what he needs to say yes to. He knows what he needs to say no to. Again, that brings focus. And whenever that happens, we do indeed simplify our lives. And again, this has been our goal for the summer. And we're talking about this because life doesn't simplify itself. It just doesn't do that. If anything, life has a way of becoming more and more complex and busy. And so we have to fight for simplicity. And my hope and prayer is that you have been able to take something away from the series that will help unclutter your soul. What I'd like to do is review the past nine weeks before I give you our final big idea for the series. I know some of you are thinking, well, if I would have known you were going to do a nine-week review, I would have stayed away all summer long and just come to week number 10. I know how you think. Well, that's like buying a book but only reading the back cover, which is never a good idea. So I'm glad you didn't stay away. But as we walk through this review, if something is interesting to you, 
or if it makes you curious, I would encourage you to do this. Go and listen to the podcast for that week at valleypointchurch.com because I think you'll find that to be very helpful. So before our final big idea, let me walk you through what we have experienced so far. In week number one of this series, we said replenish your energy reserves. And the greatest way that we can do this, I want you to hear this, the greatest way that you can replenish your energy reserves is time with Jesus. Time with Jesus. Time with Jesus. Nothing beats that and nothing is better than that because he is the one who rejuvenates. And when we're low on energy, there's a lot of things that we can do. I think at the top of the list should be time with Jesus because he is the one who fills. And this is really where we start in the process of simplifying life. Time with Jesus, it helps immensely. In week two, harness the power of your calendar. And one of the things we said on that week is a very holy endeavor is taking out your weekly calendar and running it through the grid of the question, what does my calendar reflect about who is in charge? Does it reflect God being in charge? Or does it show that I'm in charge of the events and the things that are happening and the people and the stuff that I need to do and the things that need to be accomplished? One of the holiest endeavors that we can undertake is just to pull out the weekly calendar and say, all right, does this show that God is in control or does it show that I'm in control? And I would encourage you to do that because the weekly calendar, what we're doing and all of these events, it does reflect where we're at in our friendship with God. And it reflects who is in control. And it's a very holy endeavor just to wrestle with that and to think about the weekly calendar and how we can harness that to actually do some very good things. Week three, master your finances. Week four, refine your working world. Week five, we talked about how we can make room for forgiveness. In week six, we said you got to follow the right strategy for conquering your fears. And there's a right strategy, there's also a wrong strategy. Often we approach it the wrong way and we can simplify by implementing the right strategy. Week seven, avoid isolation and fight for connectedness. Often we do the opposite of that. We avoid being connected to others and we fight for isolation. We like that. It doesn't work and it doesn't simplify. In week eight, we said, claim God's call on your life. And in week nine, we said, it's really important to cooperate with God through every life season. All right, that's our review. Here's our final big idea for the series, and that is the legacy of a simplified life is beautiful. It really is just a beautiful thing. And when we think about our legacy, what we leave for those we love the most, one of the things that we can give to them is a simplified life. And when we do that, it is truly a beautiful thing. And we want to talk about that today. There is something about having a high altitude view of life that is helpful. And it's helpful because we see things that we wouldn't normally see. And you can insert your own story here of a time where you had a high-altitude view of a city skyline or a vast ocean or a beautiful mountaintop. 
High altitude views are great and they are helpful. And maybe over the summer, you have been working hard to simplify your life by thinking through some of the things that we've discussed. And maybe you would even say that you're on the path to a simple life. And you can see that and you can feel that and you know you are on that journey and you're pretty excited about that. Well, what if you could kind of step back and just take a high altitude view of your life and its journey right now? And where you've been and where you are right now and where you think you are going based on the decisions and the choices that you're making right now. What if you could do that? Just kind of step back and get this big view. Here's where I have been, and here's where I am today, and here's where I think I am going based on the stuff that is happening in my life and the choices that I'm making. What would you discover there? Would you find that you're on course for a life of deep and sustainable satisfaction? Would you see that if you had the chance? Just to step back. Here's where I've been, here's where I am, and here's where I'm going. Would it show that you're on this path to a deep and sustainable, satisfying kind of life or not? Which kind of brings up the question, how satisfied should I be? And what does that even look like? And what does that even mean? So I think I want us to consider that, and I want us to evaluate how satisfied we may be. So on a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to assess your current satisfaction level with these different areas. All right, so you just think about where you are right now. Let's get this high-altitude view of where we've been, where we are, and where we think we're going. And I want you to assess your current satisfaction level in these areas. So how satisfied am I with work? On a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied? And how satisfied am I with my income right now? How satisfied am I with my marriage or with my singleness? And how satisfied am I with my family? And how satisfied am I with the overall current circumstances that surround my life? How satisfied am I with work, with income, with my marriage, with my singleness, with my family, and with all of the other circumstances that surround my life? How satisfied am I? And I think it also brings up this question. How satisfied should I be? How satisfied am I and how satisfied should I be? Well, last week we looked into the life of an ancient king by the name of Solomon. And as we looked at his life and as we began to investigate, we discovered three things about him. He was very wise. He was very accomplished. Just an incredibly successful leader. He was also very wealthy. So he was wise. He was accomplished. And he was wealthy. And the book of Ecclesiastes actually records his thoughts for us. This great ancient king who kind of had it all, the book of Ecclesiastes records his thoughts. And when you begin to look into this journal of his thoughts, which is really what the book of Ecclesiastes is, Solomon gets very honest 
and open about what matters. That's what he does. And he just begins to talk about things that last. Solomon's kind of interesting because his life was astir with activity. He kind of saw everything and he experienced everything. And again, this is all recorded for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. And when you begin to read, it's actually kind of discouraging. And so if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. If you have a device, you can also scan the QR code in the program, and that will bring up all of our scripture and all of our notes for today. But here's how this book begins from a king who is wise and accomplished and wealthy. He has seen it all. Here's what we find right away. These are the words of the teacher... King David's son who ruled in Jerusalem. And right away we have a bit of history here. And I love this about what we discover because it helps us to know that Solomon was a real person. He actually existed. He's a historical figure. He's not a made-up person in some made-up story. So he's known as the teacher. That's what he was called. He's King David's son. And Solomon actually ruled in Jerusalem. He was the third king in the Israelite monarchy. And this is what we know historically about Solomon. So this stuff actually happened. And here's what we find in verse 2. Here's how he leads his journal. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Actually, I want to take it a step further, he says. Not only is it meaningless, it's actually completely meaningless. Not just meaningless, But I want to add some grit to this. It is completely meaningless. And I think if we were to pick up this book, we would probably say, this guy doesn't sound too happy. Like he needs somebody who would get next to him and kind of cheer him up a little bit because he is wise and accomplished and wealthy. He has a lot to live for. Why is he saying that everything is completely meaningless? And we would probably just forget about the rest of the book. But we're not going to do that. Because what we find in the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that Solomon gives us this high altitude view of what actually matters. And he looks at the different things that he pulled into his life that he thought would bring meaning and satisfaction and he calls them wind chasers. And again, this is from a wise, accomplished, wealthy individual. He's been there. He's done that. And he's saying, all of these things that I thought would bring happiness and satisfaction and would give me a simple life, they are all meaningless. They are like chasing the wind. That's his high altitude view. And so what we want to do today is let's listen to the words of a wise king. And let's consider some of these different wind chasers because I think you'll find that we often chase a lot of the same stuff. And we want to be sure that what we chase in life is meaningful and lasting. And Solomon's going to bring some help in that regard. So we're going to look at five different wind chasers that Solomon just outlines for us and said, I thought this would make me happy. I thought this would satisfy. I thought this would even simplify. But it's like chasing the wind. And then after that, I want to share three takeaways that will help us to know what we should chase 
So if we're going to avoid some wind chasers, if we're going to avoid things that are completely meaningless, we've got to make sure we're chasing some of the right stuff. And so I'm going to share some takeaways that I believe will help us with that. And in doing that, it's going to simplify our lives and give us a legacy. It's going to give us something that we can pass on to those that we love the most. So let's begin in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 4. Solomon said this, fame and recognition... Fame and recognition. It's like chasing the wind. So verse 4 says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth, it never changes. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. Uh, There's nothing wrong with being famous and being recognized. Nothing wrong with that at all. And that will happen for some people... It happened for Solomon. He was very famous, very recognized around the world. And last week, we even read a passage about how other rulers from around the world actually traveled to Jerusalem because they wanted to hear the things that Solomon said. And they wanted to observe the beauty of his city. They were amazed at what he had accomplished and some of the things that he said. And they wanted to be a part of this. He was famous and he was recognized. Solomon said, I had that, I was that. But ultimately, it really didn't satisfy. It was a wind chaser. But what else? How about education? Here's what Solomon says in verse 13. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. Got to think about Solomon for a moment and know that he was around the brightest minds in the known world. And he had the best that education could offer. And he even says here in chapter 1 in these verses that I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have wisdom around me. I have knowledge around me. And I can get access to it. I have the best of the best in terms of education. But it is like chasing the wind. Doesn't ultimately satisfy Now, students in the room, I will say to you that if you go home today and tell your parents that education doesn't matter and it's like chasing the wind, it's not going to work, all right? Because we should get as good as we can in these areas. We should become wise and we should take on knowledge. But just know, based on somebody who had the best of the best, that he evaluated all of that and he said, it's just kind of like chasing the wind. doesn't satisfy What's next? How about pleasure? Verse 1, chapter 2, Solomon says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? 
After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world, the pursuit of pleasure. It didn't do it. And keep in mind, Solomon had access to everything. He could get it if he wanted. What else? Well, how about work and accomplishments? If education doesn't do it, if, if seeking the good life doesn't do it, if fame and recognition doesn't do it, how about working really hard and accomplishing quite a bit? Well, Solomon tried that too, and he says in verse 4, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves, and it didn't matter. It didn't ultimately satisfy. And more work and more accomplishing can be very addictive. But I think we all know that more work, more accomplishing, more time in the office more obsessing doesn't give us more time with the people that we love the most. It's like chasing the wind. And Solomon got that and he understood that. Well, there's one more wind chaser that Solomon was after and that is wealth. I want you to look at verse 7. He says, I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, which is kind of a funny line to me. He didn't just hire a band, he bought a band. It was like the house band for Solomon. He didn't want to just bring them in occasionally. He bought them and they were there all of the time. And Solomon had just a ton of resources, all kinds of silver and gold. And I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with wealth and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the pleasures that God gives to us. Nothing wrong with that at all. But think about some of these words coming from an individual who would have been at the top of the Forbes list of the richest people in his day. And he said, it just does not satisfy. As a matter of fact, he wraps everything up. He wraps up his pursuits in verse 10 by saying this. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like, here's our phrase. Say this with me. Chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. That's how Solomon kind of wraps up all of these different wind chasers. Like, I had fame and recognition. I had education. I had wealth. I had all of these different things, pleasure, and I worked hard, and I accomplished a lot, but it was all like chasing the wind. It was meaningless, completely meaningless. And so I share all of that with you, which sounds a bit discouraging and sounds a little bit down based on this journal of Solomon's thoughts. But I share all of that with you, and we read through those different pieces of Scripture so that we can say this. Don't be a wind chaser. 
because we pursue these things occasionally. And we give a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of creativity to them. And so the call today, as we seek to simplify our lives, is don't be a wind chaser. So if that's not what we're supposed to be doing and chasing, what can we chase and what should we chase? And what I want to do is I want to share three takeaways with you now about how we can replace chasing the wind with things that actually matter and things that will indeed simplify our lives. So here's takeaway number one, and that is furnish the sacred space in your life. If you want to avoid being a wind chaser, things that are meaningless, things that don't really matter, that don't really satisfy, if you want to bring simplicity and satisfaction into your life, then furnish the sacred spaces in your life. I'll be honest with you this morning and say I think this is an area in my own life that I often neglect. I just want to be honest with you about that. It can become very easy to neglect furnishing the sacred places in our lives because who really sees that? And who's really tracking with that? You know, I think I furnish a lot of areas in my own life, my social life. That's furnished. It's taken care of. My work life, that's furnished. It's taken care of. And I can point to different things that show that and demonstrate that. Hobbies, it's kind of furnished. And again, I can point to some different things that speak to that. But my spiritual life. I'm not always so sure that I'm as intentional as I should be about furnishing what's on the inside. And again, that is hard because who really knows? If socially I'm a jerk, well, everybody knows I have no furnishings there. I mean, it's just obvious. Everybody's going to know it. And if I stop working and I eventually end up living in a van down by the river, everybody's going to know that in my work world, I'm not furnishing my life. But again, if I don't furnish the inside, who really knows spiritually? If I don't furnish that sacred space, who knows that? And that's a question for you. Who really knows that about you? God knows. God knows. And God sees. And if he wanted to pull up a chair and have a spiritual conversation with us about what's happening to challenge and encourage us, would there be a chair for him to sit on to have that conversation? Are we truly furnishing the sacred space in our lives? I think the question becomes, how do you actually do that? It's a nice thing to say. We've got to furnish this area, but what's a practical way we can do that? And I want to share two very specific things that I think will help build furniture in the sacred space in our lives. Number one, get here. Get here. Take advantage of Sunday and what takes place right here in this space and do everything that you can to push out those things that might keep you from being here that might be valuable but not as valuable as what happens right here in this space when we dig into God's word and we respond to the greatness of God corporately together in community with other people. There's something about this hour that God said we need. So don't neglect this. Get here and take advantage of what happens each and every Sunday because this furnishes the sacred space in our lives. 
Secondly, I would encourage you to do this. You can take what happens on Sunday a step further, and you can enhance that by getting into a group. And I know we talk about this, and this isn't just a a plug to get people to sign up for something. I really want you to consider about moving out of a row and getting into a circle of friends who can encourage you on your sad days and also applaud you with all of your success. And they're there to cheer you on and to lift you up and to hold you accountable. That's a really valuable thing to get into a group of people that know you and can really speak some truth into your lives. When you walked in today, you were given a card. And I want to encourage you to take that out right now. And just look at it because this describes how groups happen here at Valley Point. And on the one side where the blue section is, you can see the 17 different life groups and the nights that they meet and your age group and whether you need childcare. I would encourage you to simply fill that out and we can begin to assimilate this information and get you into a group where you can begin to furnish the sacred space in your life. That's what this really is about. And on the other side, you can see that there are different community groups that you can participate in as well. Again, I want to encourage you to do more than just look at this. Consider filling it out and placing it in the baskets as you walk out the door, and we can help you take this next step in furnishing the sacred places in your lives. It's a really valuable thing to do that, again, moves us into a group of people who know us and can cheer us on and encourage us on our best days and also on our worst days. So how do you furnish the sacred space in your life? How do you make sure there's a chair for God to sit in when he wants to have that kind of conversation with you? Get here. Get here and respond to his greatness in community with others. And then get yourself into a small group that can just build you and encourage you. Furnish the sacred space in your life. Let's chase that. Secondly, discover your why. Or you could say it this way. uh, Discover your purpose. What does God want specifically for you? What's the race that God wants you to run? And God does have something specifically for you that's going to be different for every person in here. And you're not responsible to run my race. I'm not responsible to run yours. You don't have to worry about the races of the people around you. You simply have to discover your why. What's the race that God wants for you? If you want some more help with that, I would encourage you to listen to week eight where I talked about claiming God's call on your life. It really begins with trusting in Jesus alone to save you. That's one of the calls that God has on you. He wants everyone to trust in his leadership and forgiveness. So we trust in Jesus alone to save us. And then we make sure that we're right with the people around us. And then we got to look inside. What am I passionate about? What are my talents? What are my skills? Because I believe God wants to use how you are built and how you are wired to accomplish your why. And that's how you discover it. Trust in Christ. Make sure your relationships with other people are right and then chase how God has wired you and your passions. This is part of how we discover the why. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 12, because I think there's just some interesting words that are found here. Here's verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's do this. Let us strip off every weight, 
that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And then let's try this. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So again, God has a race for you. And God has a race for you, and a race for you, and a race for you. And he wants us to discover our why. And when we chase that, I believe we simplify life in a tremendous way. And we're doing the kinds of things that God really wants us to do. So it takes effort. It takes work. But let's not be afraid to put in the hard work of discovering our why and our purpose. And just know, as we have read here in Hebrews chapter 12, that God has a race for you. He hasn't left us out here just to wander around and not know. You can know it. Might take a little bit of work, but you can discover that race that God has specifically for you. And we need to chase that. And then thirdly, pursue satisfaction and pain. Wow. That sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> if you're like me, I like the satisfaction part. And we're pretty good at chasing that because we like to be happy and content and satisfied. But this pain thing, I'm not so sure. But here's the reality. Satisfaction and pain run together. And you really can't have one without the other. Think about God having a conversation with Joshua one day. Joshua was a tremendous leader, and God had equipped him to run a very specific race. And he came to Joshua and said, Joshua, you're going to lead my people, millions of people, into a land that I have promised specifically to them. And that land is great, and it will be satisfying to all of you. You're going to love it, and you're going to be amazed and happy in this promised land. And Joshua said, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's the race I want to run. I'm equipped for this. I am prepared. That's what I want to do. And Joshua shared that dream with the people. And the people said, yeah, we want to get into the promised land because we know it's going to be very satisfying in there. But guess what they had to walk through before getting into the land fully and being satisfied? It's a lot of pain along the way. A lot of loss. A lot of difficulties, a lot of discouragement. And God used all of those different things to shape his people and eventually help them get into this promised land where they were satisfied. So we have to seek satisfaction and pain because they run together. Success involves painful moments. Relationships that thrive involve painful moments. Marriages that thrive involve painful moments. Work that thrives involves painful moments. And we can't resist that. We can't run from that. We need to pursue satisfaction and pain because if we don't do that, we're going to have to live with the pain of regret, which is the worst kind of pain. I want to just conclude by going back to Ecclesiastes because, again, this is a journal of Solomon's thoughts and he says a lot of different things in the chapters that follow what we have looked at today. But in chapter 12, close to the very end of the book, here's what he says. That's the whole story. 
Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. And I think in these clear words here, in this communication from Solomon that is recorded for us to enjoy and benefit from today, we have the key to simplifying life and leaving a legacy that is absolutely beautiful. Here's the whole story, the final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. And I think how we obey God and how we fear his commands is we take intentional time to furnish the sacred spaces in our lives. And we take time to discover our why. And as difficult as that may be, we've got to find this race that God has mapped out specifically for me. We've got to really wrestle with that. And then we have to pursue both satisfaction and pain. So here's the deal. We've got one life to live. That's it. One life. Don't chase the wind. Instead, let's pursue the kinds of things that lead to a simplified life, knowing that that's a legacy we can leave that is absolutely beautiful. Father, we're so thankful for our time today wrapping up this series and thinking about what a wise king once said. Solomon certainly wasn't a perfect individual He didn't have everything together, but yet he was wise and he was accomplished and he experienced a lot of things in life. And so, God, we've tried to take a very high view today and look at our own lives and where we've been and where we are now and where we're going. And God, I think all of us would say we want a deep and sustainable, satisfying kind of life. That's what we want. But God, in order to get there, we have to stop chasing the wind. And so God, I pray that specifically for myself. That you would help me to put off these wind chasers that are distracting. Oh, they look really good at the start and they look appealing and they pull us in. But God, they're wind chasers. So help me to avoid that. And I pray that for everybody here as well. And then, God, would you help us to chase the right things like fearing you and obeying your commands because that's pretty much the whole story. We've got one life, God, so help us not to chase the wind. But, God, I pray that you would help us to work hard at furnishing the sacred places in our lives. Help us not to neglect that, although we're not getting paid to do that and there's no reward for that. God, you see. You see. And I just pray and ask that that would be a motivator for us to really furnish those places so that we can have great and deep and meaningful conversations with you. God, I also pray that you'd help each and every one of us to discover our why. Help us to discover our purpose. And God, no matter who we are or or where we've been or the failures that we've experienced or even the successes that we have walked through, 
there's something that you want for us. God, help us to keep chasing that, to discover our why. And God, that changes in different seasons of our lives. So help us to walk through that and consistently stay in communication with you and chase that why. And then God, would you help us to embrace satisfaction and pain? We need both. Often we're quick to grab the one and hang on to that, but neglect the pain that needs to come with it. God, anything that is satisfying and lasting involves a bit of pain. So help us to walk through that, God, knowing that all of this will simplify our lives. God, we can't do this on our own. We need your help. And so as we walk out of here, God, I pray that you would help us to keep our heads up and our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith, knowing that you can sustain us and help us to keep living out this simplified life. God, we want that. We ask for that now. And God, speak to us. Whisper into our lives as we continue to respond to you and your greatness now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.